it's time for the word today, and I am so glad to have my good friend Phil Engelman. He is uh, from the area, and he's, yeah, come on up, Phil. Phil is the director of Grace Valley Ministries, and I love this ministry, Phil, because <laughs> it's a ministry to pastors, and you are doing amazing things, things that that you have vision for and the, and the group has vision for that haven't yet come to pass, but they're going to. They are going to. Phil directs a, a, a small group that I'm in of pastors in the area of all denominations, and he directs this group, and I got to know him that way, and he's going to bring the word today. Can we just welcome Phil to the stage today? Thank you, Thank you so much, Pastor Allen. What a joy it is to be with you today. I really have a lot of respect for a church that holds in high regard and value rest and vacations for pastors. Our calling is to minister grace to those who minister uh, with Grace Valley Ministries, and that's one of the, the, the core values that we hold, is that pastors and ministry leaders need to take time to connect with God just as Jesus did. Um, and he was a faithful son to the Father because he sought the face of and that's where we all are tonight. It feels like tonight. It's this morning. Okay. Glad to be with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have embraced him as the Lord of your life, then the assurance of your salvation, where you stand with God, rests not on your good works, not on your performance as if you're earning God's favor, but it rests instead on the finished work of Christ. Amen? Okay, we understand that. The other day I was doing some pre-marriage counseling. And I was trying to discern where this couple stood spiritually. And I reached way back into my history and pulled out an old evangelism explosion diagnostic question that goes something like this. If you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my perfect heaven, what would you say? And this, one of the, 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 uh, of the two, the man, spoke up immediately with a one-word answer. He said, compassion. I said, well, just to be clear, uh, are you saying that God has compassion or that you have compassion? He said, I have compassion. So I knew immediately that he did not understand that his acceptance before the Father was rooted in his faith in Jesus Christ, not in his own works, not in his own righteousness. So I was able to take some time, make it clear, I think, as clear as I could. You know, you can't break through because it's a work of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and I, I did my best, and I, I wondered if maybe I saw a light turn on, but time will tell. I'll be meeting with him again this coming week. But my original proposition is this. If you have trusted Christ and you're born again by the Spirit of God, you are on a journey, a spiritual journey. God is constantly calling you and me to go deeper, deeper with him. And he does this by putting us in positions where we can't help but notice our inadequacy. He puts us in places where we have no idea how we can handle it. And then he teaches us that while we are inadequate and we don't have the resources we need, he does. And he has them in abundance. So he's always working. 
always working this lesson into our lives. It gets repeated over and over and over again because we never get over the temptation to trust in ourselves instead of Him. So this morning, I want to take our attention to a passage that you've heard from the time you were a wee child if you grew up in church. One that we've known many, many times. It's in all four Gospels. The account that is well known, it's in Matthew chapter 4, 14, verses 13 through 21. And I'm going to just read the entire passage. And, and when I do, I'm going to come back and take it apart in a, a fresh way that God has been ministering to my heart out of this passage. So I'm just going to read it first. In fact, why don't we do something? Let's stand together as the word of God is read aloud. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Father, thank you. Thank you not only, Lord Jesus, for doing this, but for giving it to us in written form and preserving it down through the ages so that we would know of your glory and your power and your blessing. Open this passage to us in fresh and new ways today, we ask. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Taking that first phrase, when Jesus heard this, what had he heard? If you look at the context in your own Bibles, you could see that what preceded this was the execution of John the baptizer. And I really believe with all my heart that Jesus was grieving in his humanity over the loss of a cousin, a distant cousin, and a fellow kingdom worker. He was grieving in the way that you and I would grieve. In fact, his, his desire to be alone, his desire to connect with the Father is what grief and loss can do for us. They drive us to go deeper with God. And his heart and his desire was to connect with his Father. He wanted to be alone. He didn't want to be bothered. He wanted to be in that quiet place with the Father. Getting alone with the Father was a pattern for Jesus. It was part of his lifestyle. We see it all through the Gospels. I recently attended a, uh, a pastor's prayer breakfast that came on the heels of that horrendous week of racial incidents and tension in our nation. Um, it's still going on. But on that day, it was right after it all had happened, and grief was hovering in the air. The host of the breakfast asked each of us where we were that day, how we were doing, how we were feeling. When it came to my turn, I said, I'm in a place where I'm trying to resist fear and embrace faith. Resist fear and embrace faith. Do you know that Jesus was always calling his disciples 
from fear to faith. From fear to faith. He was always doing that. Did you know that fear not is the most often repeated commandment in all of the Bible? In all of the Word of God, fear not. In this, in this day that we're living in, a lot of it looks like anger. And indeed, there is a lot of anger, frustration, pain, and anguish. It looks a lot like anger, but often it's rooted in fear. It can be a fearful thing for a black man in America to have an encounter with a white officer of the law. It's a fearful thing for an officer of the law to wonder if he's going to get shot at. It's a fearful thing for you and me to see our country in turmoil. In fact, if you think about it, think about this. In almost every conflict, every argument, every polemic uh, between two poles that are distances apart, you can get to the bottom of it by discerning what the two opposing parties are afraid of. What are they afraid of? It happens in political arguments, even theological arguments. One side fears this, another side fears that. And sometimes they're a lot closer together than they realize and share a lot more in common if they could just come together and come to grips with and understand what the other side is afraid of. There's a lot of resolution there. I believe part of God taking us deeper involves bringing us to understand and empathize with what others are feeling and fearing. And as we grow deeper in Him, and our love for Him grows deeper, He reveals more and more of Himself to us, what He's like, what His heart is. And as our love for Him grows, so does our love for others and our ability to enter in and understand the needs of one another. But let's go on with this passage. I'll get off my soapbox here and just go back here. Now when Jesus heard this, I'm going to start again in verse 13. He, re- he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So here was Jesus really suffering the loss of his dear friend and seeking the face of the Father But he was also, even though that was a high priority for him, he was also willing to be interrupted by the needs of those who came. I don't think Jesus, I doubt if Jesus said, oh gosh, here they are again. You know, they found me here too. I believe that it wasn't out of an obligation that he ministered healing. But it says that he was motivated by the compassion of his heart. That's what motivated and moved him into that action. I love it. I love it. I love seeing what Jesus is like in the word. Verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, when I read this recently, and I mean, how many times have we read the story? When I read this recently, it struck me because we are in places of decision making and trying to overcome obstacles and face dilemmas and fix things and challenges and all of that, uh, it struck me in a fresh and new way that what happens to you and me when we find ourselves in a place of challenge or need, a place of, of feeling, you know, kind of overwhelmed by something we have to get done here, 
that naturally we go immediately, we're drawn immediately to the answer that makes the most sense, rationally. In other words, we say to ourselves, you know, what would be the logical way to approach this? What would be the, the logical explanation for, you know, the right path here? That's so human, isn't it? But Jesus had another idea in mind. And so we go on reading here. Verse 15, or rather verse uh, 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. His plan was radically different. It made perfect sense for them to just send them back to get food. They would need it. But Jesus had a plan to say, I want you to meet the need. I want you to meet this need. And I'm going to use you in a way to meet this need that isn't in accordance with your natural understanding. When we commit our way to the Lord and, he, and we abandon our own understanding, we trust in the Lord, He directs our paths in ways that make a whole different approach to life and outcome. You feed them. <laughs> you give them something to eat. Verse 17 says, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. This is, this is what we feel when, when God asks us to do something. We feel our lack. We're made fully aware of how weak we are, how inadequate we are, and how little resources we have in our hands. And Jesus said in verse 18, bring them here to me. When we take our lack, and we give it to God, mix Jesus in there, and what do you have? You've got a miracle. Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Now, the parallel passage in John chapter 6 describes his prayer as he gave thanks. And when I read this, it struck me. Do you know what I do with my lack? I don't bless it. I curse it. I'm more prone to say, but I only have this. I can't do that because I only have this. And I tend to say with those words a cursing over my lack. Instead of taking that, here Jesus takes this small amount of food. And he says, with absolute faith in the Father's provision. The miracle hadn't happened yet. In absolute faith in the Father's provision, he simply gives thanks for a dinner to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. How ridiculous did that look? Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for this meal you provided for all of us. I hold it here in my hands. <laughs> Imagine. And then it says, it continues in verse 19, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. So, if you and I had been there, we would have been watching this. He would pick up a loaf and he would break it. And all of a sudden, instead of it being two halves, it's two loaves. And he starts to break. And as long as he was breaking, it was multiplying. Do you see how that works in our lives? God's multiplication only comes when we are broken people before him, humbled before him, 
waiting before Him with thanksgiving, gratitude. We are willing to be in His hands, broken people. And He multiplies and takes what little we have and turns it into something more great than we could ever imagine. Guess what happened in verse 20? They all ate. They were satisfied. That's the outcome of God's work. Full satisfaction. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Incidentally, one for each of the disciples. Just to say, guys, I've got this. I've got this. Verse 21, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Ladies, how do you feel about the fact that every time one of these miracles is described, it's all about the guys. They get numbered. The women don't. I don't know how you feel about that, but I will say this. The, the parallel passage in John tells us that a boy was the one who provided that lunch, right? And we also know that his mama probably made it, right? So God took two people that didn't count and used them to be the answer to the whole crowd. Sometimes you may feel like you don't count. That you are inad- you know, not only inadequate, that you're insignificant. And Jesus shows us here that he works with and takes what he can get, whatever's given up, whatever's offered up, he takes and uses for his glory. Now, this was meant not only as an unforgettable historical miracle, but a deep lesson for the disciples because he put them in a position to perform a ministry they could not perform. You understand what I'm saying here? He's putting them in a, in a position to perform a ministry they cannot perform. It's impossible. This is a situation that we have in our lives today where we're asked to do ministry that we cannot perform, but that he can. At the end of the next chapter, he wants this to be a lesson to the disciples because he feeds another multitude of 4,000, and this time with seven baskets left over, the number of perfection or completion. How do we know that these miracles were for the sake of the disciples just as much to feed the hungry crowd? Well, for one, Jesus wasn't really big into multitudes. You know, he didn't try to gather those kinds of crowds. They just came to him. But we know this because in chapter 16... We won't look at it today, chapter 16, 5 through 12, in that section, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and they're kind of, he, he mentions the leaven of the Pharisees, and they think he's talking about the fact that they had forgotten to bring enough food, enough bread. And so he just gets frustrated with them, and he says, don't you guys understand? Don't you get it? Don't you remember? And he cites these two miracles, the 5,000 and the 4,000, and he says, don't you remember? It's not about the bread. I am the bread of life. I am your sufficiency. I am whatever you need. He's always, always taking us deeper into the understanding of faith. So we trust him in every area that we know we're inadequate. He's always taking us deeper so we can resist fear and embrace faith. What were the disciples afraid of in this passage? They were probably afraid of an embarrassing and awkward situation. They might have even been afraid of a raucous crowd, maybe some cranky people. But they were not to fear. And I ask you this morning, is there a conflict in your life today? 
Are you in conflict this morning with another person or another group? Let me just ask you, what is it you fear? What do you fear? Can you trust God's promise by faith with that thing that you're afraid of? You know, Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. We can be gentle and we can be at peace because God is near. That is, he's accessible. He is immediate. He is always available. He never leaves us. Not only that, but he is soon in his coming. He's the judge is at the door. He's ready. Pastor Allen made reference to the nearness, the, the uh, imminent return of Jesus Christ, and I believe that with all my heart. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes, it, you may be like me, sometimes I wonder, how in the world does God put up with all this stuff? How does he put up with it? You know, it kind of reminds me of, I was reading the Gospels account again of how Jesus is up on the cross, and they're saying, just come down, you, you know, we'll believe you. Man, I, I would have been tempted to get down off that cross and just, you know, punch him one and get back up. Uh, I don't know, the, the restraint of the Lord just amazes me sometimes. Second Peter talks about how his long-suffering is really rooted in his love and his mercy. And his his, his, his uh, tarrying and his coming, his, his patience and his waiting. But here's the deal. It helped me to understand this. Every one of those terrorists who destroys all of these lives and it almost inevitably leads to the, their own loss of life, every one of those terrorists wakes up facing their creator God and finding out that it was Jesus they needed all along. God sees everything. Time is not an issue for him. But even more, in the immediate, God is experiencing all of these souls dropping off into eternity continuously. And as he sees them coming in, he doesn't, he doesn't get frustrated because nothing's happening. Every one of those are facing their day of reckoning and their day of accounting as they stand before God and come to the realization of what is true and what is not true. God is not asleep. He's involved. He's at the door. He's near and he's close to us. And that's how we then can be gentle. We can be gentle because God is there. Are you feeling overwhelmed by your lack? I know I am. We, uh, we have a site plan in the hands of the county right now that could be approved at any time, and we could break ground if we had the resources. We don't have the resources. So this is why God just keeps taking me back to the same passage. What little we have, we give up to God, and he is able to provide. If you are overwhelmed, God has you right where he wants you. You feel fully adequate? He's not going to call you to be the Gideon-led army leader, you know, if you will. He's not going to call you to do the thing. He wants the weak one. He wants the one who is aware of their weakness. But he, if you're feeling that, you're right where you're supposed to be. And if you don't feel it, you need to examine your heart. I, I, if, once I get overconfident getting into the pulpit... Or whatever we don't get it behind pulpits anymore. Thank God, you know we're behind things like this. Every time, if I don't feel a sense of inadequacy, I know I need to reconnect with the Father because without Him I can do nothing. It's the Spirit's power. 
Spirit's power. He wants you to go deeper. He wants to demonstrate his power in your life by faith. And if you want to go deeper with God, here's what I'm suggesting today. Do you want to go deeper with God? How many of you say, I, would, I want to go deeper with God? Okay, <laughs> so do I. Here's what I'm suggesting. If you want to go deeper with God, look for the places where you're facing the, the most overwhelming odds. Look for them. For the places where you lack the resources. Maybe even the places where you feel hopeless. Look for them. It might be an impossible relationship. It might be a chronic illness. You've spent tons of money without relief. It might be a financial crisis. It might be a crushing business loss. Or job loss. It might be that you're in the midst of grief over the loss of a loved one might be that you're experiencing, uh, experiencing a hopeless feeling of loneliness, rejection, and abandonment. No one understands. Maybe it's less dramatic, but still intimidating, like car trouble or a big test coming up or a broken down AC unit in your house in the middle of July. Wherever you're overwhelmed, wherever you don't know where to turn or what to do, or perhaps wherever you're scheming your own plan without realizing that Jesus wants you to recognize he alone is the answer. In every place, in every place, God is calling you to go deeper with him by rejecting fear and embracing faith. Rejecting fear and embracing faith. And the very circumstances of our lives are the tests. They are the opportunities for you and me to go deeper, deeper into the exercise of faith in our loving, gracious, generous Jesus. I read the testimony of a swimming instructor. He had a group of adults who had spent their whole lives in fear of water. Why? Because they had never learned how to swim. That can be terrifying. Get around water. So, on the very first day, these adults had lived their whole lives in fear about water, falling in, would they drown, all that. He takes them into, out into a lake, and he, he leads them into the water until they are about this deep in the water, up to the chest, roughly. And his one objective his one purpose was simply on that first day to teach them how to float. How to float. Because once you know how to float and you know you can, it's easier to understand how it is you can make motion across the water. So he'd get them out in the middle of the lake, he got them in this position. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean back. And I want you to rest on the water. But to do that, you're going to have to take your feet off the bottom. You're going to have to take your feet off the bottom. And he said, that was the hardest job they had. The whole class was to take their feet off the bottom and experience 
flotation. Well, the purpose of this story is very obvious. You and I continue to hold on resting on our own resources, on our own strength, believing that we have the power. We cannot save ourselves, and we cannot do anything other than trust God throughout life. Everything. Not only our salvation was a matter of faith alone in Jesus Christ, but so it is when we live. The only way we'll have the power to live a life that is pleasing is when we take our feet off the bottom and lean back into the love, the everlasting love of our Heavenly Father manifest through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place, who went all the way to the cross. And if you are still resting in your own goodness to make you acceptable to God, today is the day you need to recognize you cannot be there without full trust in Jesus. Take your feet off the bottom. Without him, you would not have a hope. But with him, we have assurance. Put your trust in Jesus. And may that be what God calls all of us to experience, that he is good, he is faithful, he is trustworthy. We can rely on him. We can rest in him. Do that today. Receive him. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take these truths and burn them deeply into our hearts and our minds and our souls that we might be fully at rest in you. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your assurance. Give us the faith as we rest in you, Lord, to receive as it's a gift from you, all of it, to rest in you so that you do your great work through us. We ask it all in precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. We just appreciate